Kodai Senga about to pitch his first half inning as a New York Met. Here's his 27th on one and two on the way. Swung on and missed strike three. Payoff. Strike three call got him looking. The 1-1. Slider popped up near second base. McNeil head cocked to the sky goes racing out in the grass and shallow right. Leans to his left and makes the catch. That's probably it for Kodai Senga in the debut. This is Ghost. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, March the 5th, 2023. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. You could also get me on Instagram. Talking Mets, no G. And I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network as well as risingapple.com. Well, welcome to another edition of the Talking Mets podcast. It's the Kodai Senga debut edition of the show. I had promised that when Senga debuted, we would do a show, whether it was on a Wednesday, a Monday, a Saturday. Well, the Mets must have known that it's important for you guys in the public to get this show on a Sunday because they conveniently scheduled Senga on a Sunday out in Jupiter against the Cardinals, and uh, I had a chance to check him out on MLB.tv, and that's where we'll start. A lot of other things to get into. Of course, the kids are making a big storm, especially across Twitter. Everybody wants Ronnie Mauricio to be on the roster, Brett Beatty, Francisco Alvarez, Mark Vientos. Look, Beatty and Vientos are making a great case. I'm going to calm you guys down. I'm going to remind you how hard that is. The Mets' bullpen's starting to crystallize. I really do believe that. And listening to some of the comments by the staff about some players, I have an idea. You're down to probably about two spots open. Quite honestly, the only two spots open on the roster if everybody stays healthy. That's a big if with Jose Quintana now uh, going down potentially with a little bit of an injury. We'll get into that. And then as we wrap up, I'll also give you something to think about when it comes to taking the pressure off the Mets. There actually are other teams in this town, not baseball teams, that in the early parts of the season may be able to take the pressure off the Mets. I'll tell you about that on the way out on today's program. So let's start with Kodai Singa. And, you know, it's very much against this show to take an extreme position on anything, you know, especially in spring training. I mean, the... What were we going to learn about Senga today that we probably already didn't know? And quite honestly, if you were being truthful and you were reading the evaluations of Senga and you weren't taking best case scenario or dreaming pie in the sky, you pretty much saw what Senga's all about today in the two innings that he pitched against the Cardinals. And yeah, he had Goldschmidt in the lineup and Arenado in the lineup and Brandon Donovan in the lineup. So you you had some guys that you would face in a regular season contest. It wasn't just a bunch of 4A guys. What you saw today is exactly why Senga could be great, and I could see why Billy Epler and his team wanted to bring him in as potentially a high-end and reasonably priced 
pitching prospect, if you could call somebody at 30 years old a pitching prospect, you also saw the concerns and you saw why I'm concerned about is this guy truly a number three or is he more back into the rotation and where is he going to settle in realistically? So let's just get right into it here, what you saw. You saw a guy who throws hard. You saw the ghost fork. We all got a good kick out of that. As you heard on the way in, this is ghost. That's going to be a big thing. You got to see how devastating it could be. Uh, With the velocity, even when his uh, location may not have been where he wanted, he's throwing so hard and there appears to be some movement on his pitches that you're still going to see him get outs. There was almost a 50-50 ball to strike count. That was negative. You never want to see that. And what you saw today was a guy that um, really, if this was a regular season situation, he probably would have been out after the fifth inning. He would have struggled to get through the fifth inning today. He had, what, about 45, 50 pitches through two innings today. Uh, So you figure, you know, depending on if he had a quick third or fourth inning, maybe he gets through the fifth. And I think that that's what you're really looking at, especially early in the season, as he gets to figure out the mound, he gets to figure out the ball, he gets to figure out the culture, the league. Uh, He's using pitch calm. You saw that today. And really with the pitch clock, and this is where the pitch clock may become a problem And we haven't really talked about it as much as everything has been positive about the pace of play, the new rules. I can't say there's been, other than some of the goofiness that happened with Scherzer, which was Scherzer going to the red line with the new rules, there was absolutely nothing, in my opinion, that's gone bad. But here's a guy who doesn't really, doesn't speak the language. He does not speak any English, uh, maybe very little. And the Pitchcom is technology that is relying on wireless technology. And we saw last year there were times where it didn't work, and they had to go and go get a, another transmitter to put in their hat. And maybe it was more with Chris Bassett, who you know tended to be very laborious during his starts. But what if that pitch comm isn't working? Uh, you have this 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 pitch clock. You can only step off so many times. Uh, you know how are they going to handle that? And if you're getting to a situation where you're getting a little bit stressed, and you think you got the right sign. And you didn't, you know, now it could potentially amplify a situation. So I'm curious how that's going to work with a guy who doesn't know the language. I'm sure there are other pitchers on the roster, other players that don't speak English, maybe uh, Spanish and whatnot. So maybe this is something I'm overrating. But but here's a guy coming over, learning the league, learning everything that has to go with it. And now you're using Pitchcom. Makes me wonder how that's going to work out in a, in a situation. I, I spoke to, I know, a buddy of mine, like I always say, I've talked to a couple of guys around the league. I have a couple of guys that I trust. Um, you know, I asked them, scouts, guys who are professionals that scout in the league, uh, their thoughts on Senga this this afternoon, and they watched the game. And I got the changeup is, you know, basically a batting practice fastball. The slider loses some deception as he drops his slot, uh, though he had good angle and plane on his fastball. Thinks he'll be fine. And, uh, you know, maybe in the first inning, whether it be because of nerves or being the debut, whatever, he sped up a little bit. Uh, You saw on the home run that he gave up, maybe telegraph that pitch a little bit. Uh, So the real question is, and, you know, some of the graphs show his arm slot, which wasn't really way out of whack. What happens, you know, if that's something that is part of his game? You know, is he going to be tipping off his pitches, whatnot? Really, the first two batters, everything negative about Senga with where he couldn't throw a strike came right there into full force. That was the amazing part about the whole thing, that really – I'm sitting there going, every negative thing, every caveat on the scouting report was right there for us in front of us. But to his credit, he pitched out of that. He got a couple, he got a fly ball. He got the, he struck out, uh, you know, uh, the last hitter 
on a ghost fork. And you know, with the way it is in spring training, I'm not even paying attention to who's at the plate. I'm just I'm just looking at who, you know, what Senga is doing, and then he gets through the two innings and away you go. But, you know, really the big news for me today, and, and this is where an older rotation and especially with the fact that you're bringing in a lottery ticket type of pitcher like Senga, could really come and bite the mat. So Quintana looked pretty good in his stint, was yanked uh, because of some uh, side tightness. Buck sounded after the game that there's a, some level of concern with that. That could be an oblique or a lat. You don't know. You saw what happened with Scherzer in the oblique. These are things that are four- to six-week injuries. The last thing you need is a veteran starter here in spring training, not only having that injury and missing the start of the season, but basically going to have to ramp up and start his spring all over again. You get a, a, a Scherzer type of three- to six-week lat injury issue or bleak injury issue, whatever you want to, uh, you know, whatever the injury turns out to be, you could be out till Memorial Day. Because you're going to have to go through spring training all over again. And then you're going to basically have a situation like you saw with Carlos Carrasco a couple of years. You may not have to get the guy back till midseason. And if you remember, Carrasco never really got uh, on tr- on track. And, uh, you know, basically 2021 was a lost year for Carrasco. The importance of, okay, you have Scherz and Verlander. You're hoping that at their age they could stay healthy. You have some interesting depth pieces in Buto and Luke Casey. And now, you know, Peterson seems to be relatively okay with the outcome of his uh, tests after getting hit by a line drive. McGill, you have some depth. So the Mets are nine deep, and I think they're solidly nine deep at least, which is a good start. You feel good that any of those nine guys you hope could give you, you know, five, six innings and keep you in a ball game. You know, they're not going to dominate, but they keep you in the ball game. And let's face it, we'll talk about this a little later. The Mets bullpen is pretty good. I mean, I'm really liking some of the arms you see, even the guys that you know. Uh, like De, uh, Deoka and guys like that that are coming out of the pen that aren't going to make the club, they're pretty good. There might be some interesting ways you could shuttle guys in and out. But Quintana was such a key for me because I wanted to see how he rebounded. I know it's spring. Hopefully he's okay because I really thought as I was watching him pitch, and he looked good in his one inning, that's the kind of veteran that could slide in as a number three, give you innings, uh, because of his experience, know how to navigate the lineups throughout the league. And it could slide Senga down because I really believe, and I know it's only one start, and it was only a couple of innings, and his, and, and, and there was a lot of positives. Like, let's face it, the fact that he just started, here he is on a mound, I know it's spring training, it's Jupiter, It's no one's going to remember it a month from now. But the fact that without probably his, his best control, 50-50 ball to strike ratio. He got through a couple of innings and relatively unscathed with one home run. That tells you there's a lot of potential there. You know, a lot of pitchers you have to walk in the first couple of batters could have spiraled at that point and just let it all go. Um, but I think it's so important, and it really it continues to go back to what I said in the offseason. I have no problem with the Mets going out there and trying to swing for a home run on a reasonable contract with a pitcher from Japan that potentially could be a top uh, of the rotation type of guy that maybe needed to replace a Scherzer and a Verlander in the next couple of years because the Mets don't have any impactful pitchers that profile that have that high-end profile like a Senga. But, but doing that and letting a Chris Bassett walk and then obviously relying on Quintana, who now may be hurt, it makes Quintana critically important because I really think it's unfair as you look at the rotation, despite the fact that logically 
Verlander slides in for DeGrom and Senga slides in for Bassett, that you really put that responsibility on a guy coming over to the States for the first time, learning the culture, like I said, learning the language, learning everything about the league, different ball, different mound. Now you throw in a pitch clock and these new rules. I mean, could you, is there ever been a Japanese player, a pitcher, let's say, just a pitcher, let's just go to the pitchers, a Japanese pitcher that has come into a more challenging scenario than Senga. You want to say Nomo when he first came over in 1995 because he was a pioneer, but he was going from one league to another. Yes, different league, different players, different talent level, same thing, different ball, all the other stuff that you want to talk about, but he wasn't learning a new, I mean, it's a new game. And yes, I, I just said just a couple of minutes ago, it's the new rules aren't a big deal. It looks like the same game. We talked about this at, at length last Sunday. I'm not going to get all back into that again. But this kid's got a lot in front of him. And it, technology with the pitch calm and no signs. I mean, you've, he's got a lot. And this is just Jupiter in March. This isn't uh, uh, Atlanta on the road in April or Wrigley Field in June or Yankee Stadium if he gets a start there, or City Field, let's say his start falls on opening day. This is as relaxed and as uh, nonchalant a baseball environment as you're going to get in 2023 if you're Kodai Senga. So the more that you can provide him cushion and lower expectations and allow him to build into something, the better you'll be. Really, I mean, that's really the thing. I mean, everybody going gaga about him, the ghost fork... You know, he's got this, he's been this good in Japan over this amount of time. That doesn't mean anything. I've told you from the start, I see a guy that very likely will be a six-inning, three-run guy, five-inning, three-runs, five-inning, two-runs guy. I think he's going to rack up his pitch count pretty quickly. I think he's going to have to navigate runners on base. I think he's going to have stretches where he's really bad. I'm going to be straight with you. I think there's going to be stretches where you're going to be like, man, I don't think this guy could, could do it. And then I think there's going to be stretches where he's really good. And where he lands long-term over this five-year deal remains to be seen. But what's critically important, and now that's in question, and I don't want to go crazy here because I'm coming to you mid-afternoon. You could get you know, news by the time this podcast reaches all of you that no big deal with Quintana. But it already showed you how important – we know how important Scherzer and Verlander are. I mean, the fact that the Mets were able to get away with very little DeGrom and a combination of McGill and Peterson and Trevor Williams last year, we all know how blessed they were to get through that. Shows you what depth, how important depth is and what depth can do. And they have some depth this year, maybe better depth than they had a year ago. But nothing replaces what a Chris Bassett gave you where he'd go out there and give you seven innings, three runs, or he'd pitch eye-to-eye with a Sandy Alcantara. Or he'd go into Atlanta when you were trying to take two out of three and he'd give you six solid innings and the Mets would win the ball game. I know exactly how disappointed you were in him down the stretch. He was just as bad as many others, Scherzer, DeGrom. But when you let him walk out the door and replaced him essentially with Quintana when you really think about it. Yeah, you replaced him with Senga. But when it came to that profile, that veteran, you replaced him with Quintana. And now there's questions about Quintana's health. And let's face it, Bassett's been pretty darn good compared to uh, Quintana over the last three, four years. Quintana's a solid back in the rotation pitcher. But Bassett is a guy that had the potential. He was a number three, but he was a guy that could show you potential at the top of the rotation. He's a guy that was in the Cy Young conversation a couple of years ago. 
not that long ago. Quintana's not that kind of pitcher. Yeah, he was really, really good down the stretch. He shut the Phillies down in a postseason game, all that stuff. So as I was watching Quintana, and got a little excited what I saw there. And then I hear the news after the game that he's not, you know, that potentially there might be some issue there. I, I can't stress enough, the more obstacles that you can take away from Senga, I think the better his transition will be. And I think the main thing that everybody must do, must do when it comes to Senga, is manage expectations. Because I think there, especially this year, I'm not saying the whole five years, but especially this year, this is a 30-year-old pitcher. This is not a 22-year-old coming out of double-A. This is a guy who has established in another country, in another league, a lot of his habits and behaviors and, and, and trends. And we're all learning them for the first time. And look, like we've heard, the Mets have been eyeing this guy for a long time. He was, you know, they were one of many teams. We know that there's also an injury risk there. We're not even going to get into that. So part of that is also limiting his exposure, which means limiting his, his turns around the rotation. I mean, the Mets have already talked about a six-man rotation, which means a Peterson and a McGill or Buto or Lucchese will get some time. Well, losing Quintana for any length of time, that already takes some of your depth away pretty quickly. Can't stress it enough. I think you saw exactly the good, the challenges. I don't want to see the bad. The challenges with Senga today. You have every reason to get excited, but you have every reason to say, you know, this is not necessarily a guy that I could put in, 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 right in stone here, Hideo Nomo 1995 debut. This is a guy that could be you know, a very league average type of pitcher, especially early on. I'm hoping I'm wrong, but nothing really gives me more pause about a starting pitcher than when I see a 50-50 ball strike count, laborious innings with runners on base, telegraphing pitches, and needing velocity and movement to get yourself out of it when really it could be a situation where you don't know where the ball's going. And there's no, I saw a little bit of pinpoint uh, uh, control there with Senga, but I saw more of hitters going after pitches. And when you get to the regular season, and there, you know, you get to one of these really good lineups in the league, a San Diego lineup, an Atlanta lineup, you know, on the road with some of these teams, if you go into the American League with Toronto and Houston and maybe the Yankees, I mean, they're not just going to go swinging at the ghost fork. You're going to have to work a little bit. And they're going to get a scouting report on you, and their whole goal is going to be, let's get this guy out of here. Let this get this guy out of the ballgame because his pitch count will rise pretty quick. Almost like a Sid Fernandez, if you think about it. You know, how you know hitters would foul off pitch after pitch and Sid would labor and he would come away with maybe five innings, one or two runs, but it would accomplish the goal and get him out of the ballgame. So um, that's what I have for the Senga debut. I'm not here to make a extreme case one way or the other. I think you saw exactly what we've been saying, what at least I've been saying, what you've been hearing on this show all offseason, is that he is a guy that profiles more, especially early on, as a back end of the rotation guy, a guy that's going to need some time to adjust, a guy that I think has tons of potential with his stuff, better stuff than Bassett maybe, but Bassett knew how to pitch, Bassett knew how to navigate lineups, Bassett knew how to give you innings, and you know, other than his couple of starts at the end of the year, and I know that's the big ones, he was pretty consistently, when Scherzer and DeGrom were out, he was the Mets' ace, and he delivered. He delivered. You lose Verlander and Scherzer like you lose DeGrom and Scherzer a year ago, is Senga going to be able to do what Bassett did? I don't know about that. And now you have the Quintana stuff that's hanging over the team. So 
it's not yet a thunderbolt. I don't want to call it that. I don't want to call it the first thunderbolt, but it's the first thing to look out for. And right away you saw between the Peterson x-rays on his foot on the line drive and the Cantana side uh, pain, you saw how quickly pitching depth goes away. That's why I want to hear people say, well, could the Mets trade Carrasco somewhere? Hold on a second. You know, you go from five solid starters in rotation, I'll beat an older one, to nothing in the snap of a finger. So that's what we have for you for Senga. An interesting debut, a lot more to uh, to come with him. We'll be watching him all spring. This was one of the keys. This was one of the things we were going to do. We talked all spring about figuring out Senga. Uh, the next thing which we'll get to after the break is the depth and the prospects and the kids. Those were other things we were going to look for. Then obviously the battle in the bullpen that uh, seems to be, in my opinion, crystallizing where there's not as many spots up for grabs. And the Mets actually look like they have more arms than spots, which is a position, especially bullpen-wise, that they haven't been in in a long time. So anyway, let's take a quick break. When we return, the kids are lighted up this spring. Mauricio, Beatty, Vientos. Alvarez not so much because he's they're taking it slow. But other than Alvarez, the kids have really impressed. Another couple of hits for Beatty today. Do any of them have a chance to really make the roster? And w- the fans are going gaga. Do I need to splash to, you know, splash some cold water on this? We'll talk about that and more right after this. Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big-time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one. Triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. That one is hammered to right center field. And this one also over the wall. Ronnie Mauricio. Two days in a row. Big blast. Mets fans, they saw this yesterday in Port St. Lucie. It was impressive. He enjoyed all of it and gets to do it again, and this time runs the bases just like Buck Showalter likes. I mean, this is a line drive shot right center field. And 
Vientos with another drive out toward dead center field. That one off the top of the batter's eye. A three-run home run is second of the afternoon. There's going to be a lot more opportunity and chances taken. Brett Beatty, their top prospect, hits one to deep center field all the way back. Adolph, that's gone. Brett Beatty from Austin, Texas. It was a first-round pick in 2019 trying to make this team, and he just smoked one to center field. And it's two to nothing Mets. It's a big swing to start spring for Beatty, and there's actually some rumors out there that he might have an outside chance if he plays well enough to be their opening day third baseman and help that team in the National League East. But a big swing to get things started. Yeah, that is impressive to see the power from the young 23-year-old. Some of the struggles he had last year, the work ethic never wavered. He's just a real consistent personality, and um, you know, he wants to play. He loves playing baseball, and he loves being part of a team. But he understands the uh, other responsibilities that come with that. He can't. It can't be just when it's convenient for you. He's a guy that people like to talk to when they have an issue because he's know he's going to be sincere. You know, early on in the spring last year, I'd heard good things about him, but I, you always have your antennas up like, there's no way this is real. You know, you just kind of go, come on. And after a while, I said, it is. He impromptu got in the talent show today and with two words brought the house down. He's, yeah, they love him because he's just a, he's got a pure heart. some highlights there from the week that was Ronnie Mauricio another bomb I think he's tied with Pete Alonzo for the most home runs with the team this spring Mark Vientos with a couple of bombs including one to dead central against the Marlins and of course Brett Beatty's been raking this spring another couple of hits today I'm not even gonna get into the stats I don't look at spring training stats and then you heard Buck Showalter talk about Eduardo Escobar and let me make this clear to everybody. I've said this last week. I'll say it again. Short of an injury or something really going wrong where, you know, a scout could come and say, hey, this guy's done. Physically, he looks like this. I don't see a scenario where Brett Beatty comes, uh, comes north, makes the roster to play not full time. I just don't see it. Now, maybe, and this is, I think, more more impactful for Vientos than Beatty, if Darren Ruff can't get into a game and can't get in shape, and I could see a scenario where this wrist thing, even if it's not as big of a deal as we all think, wrists are not good. When you get injections in your wrist, there's something going on in there. Uh, you know, I could see Vientos taking his spot as the right-handed platoon as part of the Vogelback Vientos platoon with the DH, and here's a guy that had OPS of 1,000 in the minors against lefties. So he'd fit perfectly the rough rough role. Perfectly he'd fit that role. Uh, I could see that with Vientos. I can't see that for Beatty. Now, could you say that if, uh, and and this is what's all predicated, any of these kids, and I'm going to put Mauricio aside, I'm going to, I'll dash cold water Mauricio, because Mauricio is the kind of player, uh, and, and, and I hate to say this, it reminds me of Jordani Valdespin, you know, a lot of physical tools. Now, Valdisman had all sorts of goofy issues. I'm not saying he's 
a clubhouse issue like Valdez spin and maturity. I, I don't even know the kid, so I can't say anything about the maturity part of it. So put Mauricio to the side for a minute. Let's just talk Vientos, who's had a good spring, and Beatty, a good spring. You're not going to bring these kids north to sit on the bench. They're either going to be part of a component of the team. With Vientos, it'd be against left-handed pitching. So essentially, he is sitting on the bench in that, but you will get some playing time. You hope at least one lefty a week or a pinch-hitting situation. More than likely, and during a game, he's going to be pinch-hitting for Vogelback because lefties will be coming out of the bullpen. So Vientos will play. Beatty, with Escobar on the roster, unless you're going to slide Escobar into the right-handed DH portion of the platoon and give Beatty third base, which I think defensively he's not ready for. I'd like to see him spend some time in AAA honing his defense. I am a big defense guy. You know Buck is. I don't see them making the roster. And let me give you why it's more than likely not to happen. You just heard from Buck Showalter how respected Escobar is in that clubhouse how good he is as a teammate. And I know what you guys are all saying. There's a bunch of you guys in the audience. You're analytic guys. You never managed anything. You've never really been part, all due respect, in any kind of group dynamic on a higher level, and you're poo-pooing all this. I promise you that's not the case. Uh, how, you know, Just like a few years ago, I said how important it was for when Pete Alonso, with no clear player in front of him, to make the team because he hit his weight onto the roster. Now, important that is for a team to see that, that when you earn something, you get it. I think it's important, you know, not to say that there's a scholarship for Escobar, but that a veteran of Escobar's stature, who produced late in the year, produced into the playoffs, has a long resume, by all accounts is getting himself in shape this spring, going to be playing in the WBC. There is no chance that I see them just throwing him to the side because Beatty has had a nice spring, but I'll tell you what, not many players have had springs like Pete Alonso had in 2019. I mean, he grabbed it, and I said to you a week ago, big difference between Alonso coming in with no clear-cut first baseman in front of him. Basically, it was him and Dom Smith, both players proving themselves, and he tore the position away from Dom Smith, never looked back. Here, Escobar has a resume, and you expect, with relative help, that Escobar's going to go out there, hit 20 home runs, drive it about 75 runs, and do what he did last year, play adequate defense. You know, maybe you got to bring in Guillaume uh, late in ball games in, in a tight situation. You're certainly going to have to do that for Beatty. So we're all getting crazy here about Vientos and Beatty. I think if you had to rank likelihood of making the team in the short term at a spring, Vientos is the one that has the best chance. Likelihood of somebody having an impact day in and day out would be Beatty, because let's say. Escobar struggles on a big-time level. I don't think they're going to wait till August this time, like last year, for him to get it going. I think if Beatty, if Beatty goes down to AAA in April and for four to six weeks hits the tar out of the ball and shows improvement defensively, and come May 1st, Escobar's hitting 195, then I think the conversation is different because then you could move Escobar to the bench. I mean, the real thing is this. If Ruff is, on, is healthy and on the team, He's got a guaranteed contract. And as Billy Epler said in Buck, these guys are, 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 are individuals who favor veterans with resumes because the data suggests that I have X number of data points saying that this guy does this in these spots. And with the kids, I have minor league data and spring training grapefruit league BS data. That means absolutely nothing. 
in the long run. Nobody looked, you know, if I, you know, what did a player hit in the 2021 uh, spring training, 2022 spring training? You probably can't, you might be able to find it online. You don't even remember. You know, nobody remembers records in spring training. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. So, uh, this talk about these guys making the team and how Beatty should make the team, it, it's, it's foolish. It's not going to happen. Escobar is your third baseman. You just heard how Buck talks about how revered this guy is in the clubhouse. He's, he's the third baseman. And, you know, unless Tommy Pham is hurt or Marte's not going to make the roster because he's not ready yet, there is no open positions for anybody. Ruff is the only position I would say right now is up in the air, and the only reason he's up in the air is because he's hurt. And we don't know how long he's going to be out and what have you. So let's put that to bed. Now, Mauricio. This is a guy that I really think is going to be interesting because it's more than likely that Mauricio is a player that you want to sell high on here. Doesn't really have a position. He's not going to... He's not going to play shortstop. I mean, Lindor is your shortstop. If Beatty is as good as advertised, third base is clogged up. Um, you know, maybe you could see, I, I, I don't, haven't seen enough of him defensively. Maybe you could say he's a DH. Maybe at some point you let Vogel back if he gets expensive walking. You have your very cost-effective Mauricio-Vientos uh, DH split. That's something that I could see maybe going into next year. You know, you got to give the kid a full year at AAA. Here's where I think he's going to be your ultimate tease. He's going to be a guy that looks good, that looks uh, has physique is, is, is impressive. He's going to hit bombs. But my question is this. Is it going to be bombs at 5 o'clock? Is it going to be bombs in garbage time? Is it going to be bombs in the Grapefruit League? Because a guy that struck out 125 times in 541 plate appearances in AA Walked only 24 times. And then John Harper over at Yahoo Sports wrote a great piece and got some real scout impact. And the scouts basically said um, that's about uh, uh, regarding Mauricio and his strikeouts. The quote is, that's about being unable to recognize and lay off breaking stuff out of the zone. A second scout said that usually improves for young hitters as they see more pitching and begin begin to mature. And will have to for him because the higher he goes, the more pitchers will zero in on his weaknesses. Um, the good news is he's got the tools and the power is real as he continues to fill out that big frame. You can definitely dream on him becoming a monster if he can become more selective and get better against the breaking stuff. So this is a huge year for Mauricio. And I have to tell you, I think one of the biggest debates we're going to have this summer as the Mets hopefully are in contention and as they look at their roster, and, and who knows, maybe they're going to need another pitcher. Maybe a pitcher will become uh, available that will push, uh, you know, potentially uh, Senga down in the pecking order and Quintana down the pecking order and really round out a big, you know, big three for the Mets. And I wouldn't be surprised if Mauricio is a name that a lot of teams ask for. I mean, look, last year, Mets needed a bullpen arm in Robertson, who they wind up signing this offseason. And from what we understand... Uh, it was a Matt Allen-level prospect that the Phillies had to give up to get him. You know, teams want talent. They don't want to just give up. Now, now it used to be that you couldn't get anything for p- players. Now now everybody wants top prospects. It's all it's all copycat industry. It was amazing. All those years when the Mets were trying to deal Familia and Re- Addison Reed, oh, you can't, can't get anything for them. They're free agents at the end of the year. 
Now it's like, well, now, you know, I, I'm not going to give them up to you unless I get something big. You know, it's like, it amazes me how, and the media jumps on it. And and it's like, well, where were you four years ago when the Mets could have maybe got something for these guys, you know? But Mauricio is the ultimate tease. He's a guy that you could dream on. He's a guy that makes you want to say, ah, this is going to be the next big thing. But all the data indicates that he's going to struggle when things get real. And, I mean, look, it's fun. You know, it's fun to see these mammoth blasts in spring training. Obviously, having another top prospect with potential as an asset is going to be a big deal for the Mets. And, you know, this is all good stuff. But out of all the guys I just mentioned, Beatty, Vientos, I haven't even talked about Alvarez. I mean, Alvarez is like on the back of a milk cart in the spring. I mean, yeah, he caught today. But it's like it's been about Beatty and Vientos. Alvarez is supposedly the big prospect. Now, maybe everybody's fait accompli is that he's going to go down and, and catch behind the plate, which is the right thing to do. But it's almost like Beatty and Vientos have stole the prospect thunder from Alvarez, which is funny because all we've heard about is Alvarez here and, uh, and things like that. So um, let's just calm down. It's okay to be excited about the kids. And look, now that all these Mets are going to be scattered about, at the WBC, nothing wrong with getting extended time watching them. I mean, that's that's exactly what you want. Keep in mind, there's going to be other players scattered around at the WBC, so it's quite possible that you're seeing a combination of AA, AAA, and 4A players competing out there. Higher level, uh, you know, when they had replacement players for the strike, this is a higher level version of it. So what are you really going to get out of all this? You really don't know. So in the end, you need to take a step back and relax. And here's the best news out of all of it. The Mets have some good depth. And I'll get to that after the break with the bullpen because I want to talk about that. But the Mets have some offensive depth. If Escobar is out for six weeks because of an oblique or a quad or whatever, Beatty could sub in very well. If Ruff is out, Vientos could sub in. Hell, if Vogelback goes down, Vientos might be able to be the everyday DH. You know, maybe you get Mauricio at some point as a DH, a left-handed, you know, depending on how things go. And then we all know the situation behind the plate. Catchers could get hurt all the time. You have one of the best prospects in baseball waiting. So the Mets have four legitimate offensive players that they can go to, and that's a big deal. So it's not like you're going to be, you know, yeah, you see the Almontes this spring and this, uh, you know, all, you know, LeCastro and guys like that that certainly are going to be nice foray fillers for two weeks. You know, maybe LaCastro becomes the Terrence Gore of 2023 down the stretch. But in terms of impactful young hitters, Mets have them. Mets have them ready to go. But let's let them spend some time in AAA. I know AAA isn't what it used to be. AA is really where the development happens. But let's let them spend, especially defensively with Beatty. You cannot play every day and be a butcher at third base. You can't give outs away. Championship teams... Don't give outs away. They don't walk the ballpark. They don't give away outs. You walk the ballpark, you give away outs, you are not a championship team. You're not even a good team. More than likely, you're going to lose a lot more than you win. And that's where he needs to get to. So, all right, uh, let's take a quick break. Final segment, we're going to talk about the Mets bullpen, which is crystallizing. I also think there'll be an interesting dynamic. Mets are under a ton of pressure. But maybe, just maybe, some other New York stories could overshadow the Mets early as they try to figure things out and make life a little bit easier for them. I thought about that this week. I'll share that and more right after this. 
The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon and enjoy the rest of the show. I just saw a poll on Twitter where 76% of you guys think Beatty's going to make the opening day roster. Well, you must know something that I don't because you must know that Darren Ruff's hurt and not going to be there opening day. You must think the Mets are just going to throw Escobar on the bench. I just, I think you guys are out of your mind. I do not see Beatty making the opening day roster. You know, I think he gets a lot of reps at third. I think he works on his defense this spring. You know, certainly, look, if he's not going to tear it up with the kind of talent he's going to face the rest of the spring with all the WBC guys scattered all over, then there's problems. Because an elite hitter or a guy that's positioned as a, as a 20, 25 home run guy, guy could drive in 85 runs, uh, an offensive player, um, then there's a problem there. You know, I got to be honest with you on that. You know, our buddy Jeff Cohen, one of the luminaries that had um, been on the panel back in the fall, had sent me a couple of mailbags over the last few weeks. One about the likelihood of prospects making it. The other over the weekend about how we overrating all our prospects and, you know, how crazy Mets fans get. And you heard a little bit about my thoughts about prospects. So I didn't do a big scientific analysis. I just took, you know, the Mets have been in the, the league 60 years. They're 60 years old now. They're almost eligible for Social Security. We've had that joke going for a while. So you've had 60 or about 60 first-round picks or so. And first-round picks first should be the ones that have the best chance of making the game uh, and making an impact. And it was interesting, as I went through the history of Mets first-round picks and the 60 years that they've had, it was almost split up to a third, a third, and a third. A third had a pretty de- you know, decent to big impact in their careers. Maybe not all with the Mets. A third did absolutely, didn't even make it. And then there was this middle tier that had either a cup of coffee or faster, fast and fleeting success. And, you know, that goes to show you how hard this thing is. You know, let me give you some names of some guys that were highly rated prospects and fans went gaga over. And, you know, potentially uh, fizzled out. Bobby Keppel, remember him? Pitcher that everybody talked about. Philip Umber, remember him? Lastings Millage, remember him? Paul Wilson, I was I was at his debut at Shea Stadium against the Cardinals in 1996. Remember him? Um, you know, Mike Pelfrey. You know, Mike Pelfrey had an okay career. Uh, you know, Tim Leary, a lot of Mets fans remember. Tim Leary was a big, you know, he wound up having a couple of good years with the Dodgers. But, you know, fizzled out a little bit. Dom Smith, we just talked about him. Uh, you know, you got guys now, and to be fair, some of the guys that are, you know, in the third that haven't made it are guys like Pete Crow Armstrong, Kumar Rocker, um, Kevin Parada, who we saw play, Jet Williams. They just got drafted. So some of it's not fair. But you go up and down the names, the Billy Beans. I mean, look, Moneyball, they talk about. Billy talks about, you know, he was a highly touted prospect. Um, Stanley Jefferson, 
uh, Eddie Kuntz. Eddie Kuntz was supposed to be this college arm that came out and was the next Mets closer. You know, Justin Dunn out with his shoulder issues. Uh, you know, Calvin Schiraldi was part of the Bobby Ojeda trade, but he was a big-time pitching prospect for the Mets. So, um, you know, it's interesting how we go crazy, but by and large, you know, when you look at Mets history, and you want to say it's an indictment on the Mets drafting, you could have that conversation. The best five first-round picks in team history are number one, Dwight Gooden, number two, David Wright, number three, Daryl Strawberry, number four, John Matlock, uh, number five, Scott Kazmir, one of the more controversial trades. And Scott Kazmir had his in a very short span, and everything that you were concerned about him, about staying healthy and potentially uh, not having a long career, came true. Uh, you know, you have other guys, Jerry Burnett, Greg Jeffries, Brandon Nimmo's on the list, and he might move up. Lee Mazzilli, Jay Payton, guys like that. Good players. But, you know, very few, you know, when you start to talk about Hall of Famers or guys that you're going to rue giving up, uh, very few are there. So, you know, just keep that in mind. And that doesn't mean I'm not excited. Look, I'm really excited that the Mets have these kids available. But you got to earn your way, and doing in the Grapefruit League is part of it, like Pete Alonso did. But it also has to do with opportunity in the scope of a team and where they're at. And this is a championship team with veteran influences and a veteran that's blocking one of them in Escobar that is highly respected and a guy that's looked at by the team as a glue in that clubhouse. They're not just, you know, you take a guy like that and you bench him, you put a lot of pressure on a baby at that point to perform. Uh, you may lose the clubhouse. You may lose Escobar because who knows if he's a guy that could really play part-time. A guy like that's going to get every opportunity to lose the job. And it's probably going to be at least two months before he loses it. You're not going to see that happen until about June. You know, Memorial Day, he probably gets you that. You know, he gets the getting-to-know-you phase. Let's put it that way. So um, that's where I'm at with that. Now, the bullpen. So we all knew coming into the spring that the Mets had a pretty solidified Five, you know, short of injury, five bullpen arms. Edwin Diaz, Adam Adovino. By the way, Edim, Edwin Diaz now is referred to as Edwin O. Diaz and not Edwin Diaz on the box scores. Does anybody know why? If you do, Mike Silvat, talkingmitspodcast.com, or tweet at me, at Mike Silvmedia. I don't get it. David Robertson, Brooks Raley, Drew Smith. Okay, one, two, three, four, five, all in. I believe what we've seen, if he stays healthy, John Curtis is number six. I think John Curtis, and I've said this to you for a while, is going to be a real dark horse in that bullpen. I would not be surprised if he starts getting some big eighth inning or potentially close some games when there's uh, no Diaz or Robertson available. I think he's going to be a real impactful arm in that pen. He's going to make the the games that much shorter. I know that Steven Nagosek has been an up-and-down guy. Without any kind of options left, I'd be real careful about letting him go. So I look at him at number seven. And then you have Zach Green, who is the Rule 5 draftee. Now, I think they're going to want to give him every single opportunity to make the club. Because if you're going to give him back, see what he's got. So if you like what he's got, he was good enough for you to, to draft. You're in a position where as the last guy out of the bullpen, give him a month or so to see. He can't hurt you. I mean, why just throw him away to keep a guy with options like uh, like uh, Eliza Hernandez, who probably should be in the rotation down 
in AAA, or take one less pitcher so you could put Vientos or Beatty on the team to sit on the bench. I mean, because the fans want that, you know. Um, I mean, I think that that's really where your bullpen is. I don't think a Peterson, a McGill, Lucchese, or Budo make the team unless Quintana is hurt to be in the rotation. I think you keep them stretched out at AAA. You're probably going to have some shuttling going on. That's why they want guys with options. makes it a little tricky with Nagosek and Green and the back part of that bullpen because you can't really shuttle them. But, you know, at some point, when you get the six-man rotation, that's where this gets a little tricky. Uh, wonder how Tommy Hunter plays into that because as a veteran, I don't know if he'd go down to AAA. You know, maybe because he's got a back issue, you could put one of those phantom back things and hang him out in Port St. Lucie to get some work. I don't know how that would work. That's going to be the interesting part because they're going to need a sixth starter. They've already talked about needing a sixth starter. In order to do that, you need guys with options. Now, it's possible a guy like Nagosek pitches well enough where the Mets say, hey, look, he's just not going to fit what we want here. He doesn't have options. Can we trade him for something? I could see that happening late in the spring um, because there's a lot of guys that could replicate what he's doing and you get something of value. You got a guy like Jeff Brigham. See, Jeff Brigham might be more apt to be in that Nagosik spot because he has options. You could slide him down for a Peterson or McGill to make a start. Uh, Sam uh, Coonrod, who you saw. Uh, Deoka. De uh, Stephen Ridings, who I think we'll eventually see, but they're taking it slow with him. Um, so, you know, the interesting part, how you get those last two spots will depend on the following. Is Quintana hurt? Because then, you know, your, your guys are going to wind up getting slotted in there, your Peterson or whatnot. How do you handle the six-starter scenario? Because you're going to want to shuttle guys up and down. You can't do that with Green because he's a Rule 5 draftee. You can't do it with Nagosek. He has no more options. So the, the odds are, if you, you know, if you think those guys have something, you keep them. You keep them for April. See what they got in play, in real play. And, you know, worst-case scenario, it doesn't work out. Then you could just, you know, designate them to the minor leagues. You'll probably lose Green to the Yankees. And, uh, you know, Nagosek either he goes through Ravers or he doesn't. Depends on how that plays out. But the Mets did a really good job. It was very smart, and Billy Epler talked about it all offseason, of bringing in guys with options that they could shuttle, and away you go. So that's where I think you have got six spots in this bullpen already set with Curtis, assuming health. You've got Tommy Hunter, who's a wild card. You've got Green, the Rule 5 draftee, a wild card. You've got Nagosik, no options, pitching well, a wild card. And then you have all these guys, Brigham, Coonrod, Deoka, Ridings, uh, Grant Hartwig, uh, turning some heads this spring. Uh, there's many, many more arms. I think every arm you see coming out has some, 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 some real life. I mean, it's a long time coming. You know, I, it's one of the biggest gripes I've had about the Mets for a while is that every team has you know replacement arms coming out of the minors that I'm not saying they stick all year, but for a couple of weeks they they do pretty good, and it's like. Where did this guy come from? How come the Rays have this guy? How come the Yankees get guys coming in and out, in and out, in and out? It's like constant, and they're serviceable. And the Mets have to go on the scrap heap and get guys who you hold your breath and walk the ballpark. It always drove me nuts, so, you know, away you go with that. All right, one last thing before we really wrap up here. Uh, So that's the the thing. That's that's really the positional battle left. I think the kids, you're going to see what they got. I don't think they're there to make the team unless something drastic happens. I.e. an injury. You got the two bullpen spots. And then, you know, the last thing, and it came to mind today. You know, the Rangers made a big deal at the deadline this week, and they're going for a Stanley Cup run. The Knicks, you know, I'm a big NBA fan, you know, on a, on a big win streak. 
uh, you know, and you know, playing the Celtics later tonight in a big game. And uh, maybe after years of not making the playoffs, maybe in for a decent playoff run. I'm not saying they're a championship team. Uh, maybe the Rangers more likely to make a deeper run than the Knicks, but you know, both teams can make a decent run. With all this pressure on the Mets after the wild winter, the Correa situation, Steve Cohn and what he's done to be this transformative owner, uh, you know, team with a lot of money, has a lot of economic arrows pointed at them throughout the league, has a lot of teams that are probably going to want to take a bite at them, like the Phillies, like the Braves, amongst others. Sometimes early in the season, you need to figure out your way. That's what the whole getting to know you phase is. And with the WBC and these guys stretched all over and the pitch clock and the new rules, there's, I think, more transition this year than ever before. Kodai Senga, we talked about him earlier. And you, you, you say to yourself, well, how do you mitigate some of that pressure? How do you get yourself some time to figure things out? Because the New York media, the fans never give you any time. They panic after the first inning of the first game. And the media maybe give you a little bit of a rope, but not much, especially when there's high expectations. We've seen that with the Yankees. Well, guess what? You know how you do that. Another team steps up and takes their attention away. So if the Rangers and the Knicks can make some decent playoff runs into Memorial Day, let's say, or later into June, it may give the Mets a majority, if not all, of the getting-to-know-you phase where they are not the focus or the toast of this town. I mean, you guys who have been around, do you guys remember the spring of 1994? I mean, the Yankees had a great season that got short-circuited by the strike that year. But But the Yankees and the Yankees, what they were becoming, really didn't take shape till after the Knicks and the Rangers finished their run. I mean, every day it was a Knicks or Rangers on the cover of the, the paper. It wasn't the Yankees. Now, the Yankees weren't the Yankees, yet they weren't the dynasty Yankees. They were just emerging after having a nice, plucky 1993 season where they finished a healthy margin behind the Blue Jays, but gave them a run for a big chunk of the season. But they weren't really seriously ever going to take over the Blue Jays, who were defending champs. And then you had this Knicks-Rangers thing, and then the Yankees... With the strike happened, and you know, right before the strike, they were starting to emerge. They were starting to become the story, and then you know what happens after that. The years uh, after, and away you go. So the winter sports that bleed into the spring and early, almost summer, with their playoff runs, can be valuable assets assets to disguise the warts that happen early in the year and maybe take a little pressure off when you're not the focus in this town. You could kind of hide in the background. It's like you're the second act or the third act. Now, eventually, you're going to be on the stage. It's going to be your stage. be the Mets and the Yankees, and they're going to be the big boys until football starts. And if football starts and the Mets and Yankees are in the postseason, then those teams kind of get their chance to hide behind the Mets and the Yankees you know, for that first month or so until the Mets and the Yankees exit their stage. So this is probably means absolutely nothing. It's kind of a corny, anecdotal, media, newspaper headline type of discussion. But it's something that I thought was interesting as it came to mind today. I'm like, it could be a helpful, the success of the Knicks, the success of the Rangers, and I'll throw maybe the Islanders a little bit in there, but more so the Knicks and the Rangers, could really help the Mets early on as they try to figure this thing out. Because I think there's going to be, even though it's a returning roster, some adjustments, and I think there might be some pain in April. I think there might be some frustration in April as this team tries to gel and come together. I mean, this is a very disjointed situation with the WBC. I mean, you have this whole situation with the kids. I mean, look at the pressure that an Escobar's on there. Do you realize if Escobar doesn't perform and quick, 
that the calls for Beatty are going to get longer and louder, and they may start day one. Think about opening day. Escobar goes 0 for 4, makes an error, and the Mets lose. They're going to be calling for Beatty. If Beatty continues to hit, they don't care if he's hitting off of uh, Mike Silva on the mound. Lobbing softballs up there. They're going to say, put him on the roster. Put him on the roster. I mean, the Twitter poll says 76% of you already, you know, think he's going to make it. And that's just Beatty. We haven't talked about Alvarez and Vientos and all that stuff. So, you are you know, these are good problems to have, right? Too much depth. You can't figure out what to do with Nagosi. Can't figure out what to do with Green. In the past, these are guys that would absolutely make the roster because there was no other options. Now you've got all these options. So it's a good problem to have, but... Perhaps the Rangers and the Knicks could help the Mets a little bit during the getting-to-know-you phase as they try to figure this thing out. They try to figure out the new rules, figure out the new roster, figure out you know who's what and where and who's depth and who's pushing some of the old guard out to become the new guard. It'll be really, really interesting. So that's all I have for you on this latest edition, the latest Grapefruit Roundup edition of the Talking Mets podcast. Um, continue to send me, look, send me some mailbags, Mike Silva, talkingmetspodcast.com, no G. Be curious to hear what you thought. think. I interweave them throughout the show. I don't just do a mailbag segment. I take your comments. I will give you credit. It helps me build a show that's interesting. Obviously, I rely on me and my expertise. That's why you come here. But I want to hear from you, and I think it's good to get this community, you know, together and, you know, promoted and things like that. It's a big community. Sometimes it's a silent, uh, you know, speak softly, carry a big stick type community, I think, if you ask me. But um, anyway, I appreciate any time you guys send feedback, whether it's for a mailbag or whatnot. So Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Have at it. All right, you could check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. You could send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out also on Instagram, TalkingMetsNoG. I'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast next week. Till then, take care, everybody. Peace.